what a joy and what a privilege it is to be up here uh, preaching to Woods Edge Church. I mean, it is a thrill. I, you know a little bit about how you pour into others. We, as Big House Church, know a ton about how you poured into us. And so we are so excited to be part of a movement in this city that will plant hundreds of churches that will reach thousands of people who are yet to know our Savior. That's what we're pursuing. The kingdom-mindedness in this circle right now is palpable. It's not about one church. It's not about any particular pastor. It is about the kingdom of God moving forward. And that's what I'm excited to partner with here at Woods Edge. And so I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. Merry Christmas to you. Um, indeed, this is my better half. Um, I'll tell you, we have eight kids. And uh, yeah, did I, get a, did I get a whoa? <laughs> I got a whoa. That's <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Um, and so, so uh, my wife and I, we, we had the way we say it, we have a preschooler, we have an elementary student, we have a junior higher, we have a high schooler, we have a college student, we have a grad student, we have a medical training student, and then we have a daughter who's given us our first, first grandchild. That's where we're at in life right now. We're planning a church with all these folks. If this message makes no sense, now you'll understand why. You'll be like, just give them grace, Lord Jesus. Amen. It, it, my church finds out I can preach in under 30 minutes. We're dead in the water there. <laughs> I'm so nervous to have them here. They're going to be like, so I gave the first half earlier this morning. Now I'll give the second half. Okay? That's, what, that's all y'all need to know. <laughs> a, a curious bystander was watching a blacksmith with great anticipation in, in what he was doing and just watching along. And the blacksmith was making a horseshoe. In order to do that, he had to heat it up till the iron was a red hot hue. And so he banged away at it and just hammering that horseshoe out. And then he set it aside. And without thinking, the bystander picked it up to take a look at it and then very quickly dropped it and got rid of it. Well, the blacksmith rather sarcastically said to him, ha, wasn't it? And the observer, not wanting to be made fun of, said, nope, just don't take me that long to look at a horseshoe. So, now, sometimes, sometimes around this time of year, what we'll do, we'll do that with the Christmas story. We will take it out, take a quick look at it, and then tuck it away until next year. Well, I don't want us to do that this morning because the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus is the greatest story this world has ever heard. There is nothing like it. This is the moment that the God of the universe incarnated. When the never made, not ever, not been Jesus put on flesh and came among us. This is the moment when all of creation was able to experience God with skin on, with a body to hold and a face to look at. And a name to call out to and a person to know. This is that moment. There's nothing like this moment. It's one thing to make all of creation. It's altogether another thing to place yourself into that creation now and forevermore. That is the Christmas story. That's what the Christmas story tells us. God made his home among us. The Christmas story is God with us. 
And there's a really powerful and lofty and poetic expression of this very thing written in the letter to the Philippians. I'll just read it to you. Paul, an early follower of Jesus, wrote these words to describe what Jesus did when he stepped out of heaven and came to be among us. I'll read you the words. Philippians 2.6, though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped clung to, held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Those are the words of Paul trying to describe and wrap our heads around, this is what Jesus did when he came among us in the Christmas story. Now, I want to show you this gigantic idea come to life in a rather uh, simple and surprisingly ordinary way. Uh, I want to read just a little bite-sized piece of the Christmas story, and then we'll, you know, we'll hang on to it until it leaves its mark on us. We won't put it down until it's impacted us. That's my prayer this morning. When we read, when we want to read about the actual birth of Jesus, we don't have a lot of places in Scripture to go. In fact, we only have the Gospel of Luke that talks about the actual birth of Jesus. And he doesn't give us much detail. But turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we'll take a look at it. Before we walk through this text, I'll just remind you that Luke is writing his Gospel to a particular person named Theophilus. And he's writing this to Theophilus because he wants Theophilus to know his new faith in Jesus, that he's just, he's just placed his life into Jesus, into following Jesus. Uh, Luke wants him to know that that new faith is grounded in reality. It is a solid faith. I trust that today's message will have that impact on you. As we look to the Christmas story and be reminded of it, I just pray that it will stir up and strengthen your faith in the gospel and in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's take a closer look at this snapshot of Christmas. It's Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and walk our way through it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quirinius when he was governor over Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Do you know when... And do you know why? Do you know when? Do you know why you do a census? When, when you do a nationwide registration? You do it when you want to count things and when you want to control things. This census, this inconvenient and frustrating governmental intervention into the ordinary lives of others, th this was sending a message to a Jewish people that they were a thing to be counted and they were a people who were controlled. Thus saith the Caesar, be counted. And so we must be counted. He says, jump, and we say, how high? How high, Caesar? We, we may not care all that much about the political names, and we may not care all that much about the temperature of this moment, the reasons for the census, but it does ground it for Theophilus, doesn't it? It grounds it for him. Theophilus, this story has a historical reference point. This, this really happened, Theophilus. 
this story of the birth of Jesus, it isn't a once upon a time story of the birth of a God or out of the mountains of Mordor came the God-man or raised by two wolves came the God-man. No, this is a story grounded in yesteryear's papers. This is just, this just happened, Theophilus. This just happened. In fact, you may have read through these, these, uh, this storyline in a newspaper, Theophilus. You may have heard this coming from reliable sources. This happened not all that long ago. In fact, when you read through those three, first three verses of the Christmas stories, you're reading through this. Uh, it's just so mundane. It's like reading the, the annals of a history text or, or really just reading, you know, just a magazine article or newspaper. There's no mention of the mighty hand of God incarnating and putting on flesh. There's just some names of some leaders and some things that have happened. And it starts off that way. But there's actually so much more going on in this passage. See, one of our one of our biggest and most common error in life is our constant neglect of the bigger picture of life. We see only what we can see and we believe or at least act like only what we can see is all that there is. But in reality, there is so much more. God is always at work. He never sleeps. He never rests. He is always working his plan. Sometimes we'll look around and say, this is all that matters. This is all that counts. This is all there is. And in doing that, we miss all that there really is. But when we dig a little deeper, if we'll just hold on to this story a little longer, we will see it. We will sense it. We will feel it. We will know it. God is behind all of this. God is the unseen architect building this moment. And so I want you to see, I just read this proverb yesterday morning on December 21st. I just read a proverb a day according to the date. Here's Proverb 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. So let's see how Caesar's decree impacts Joseph, and let's freshly discover this morning who is really guiding all the events of this first Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. One man's demands is another man's difficulties. Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, had no other choice but to obey, to pack everything up and to head back to the place where he was from. And he had to head back there with his very pregnant wife, Mary. Now, this was an unexpected trip, but Caesar says to Joseph, get to stepping, and he's got to get to stepping. And so he says to his, his engaged wife, who's very great with child, hey, we got to go back. So it's an unexpected trip. He's dealing with an unexpected pregnancy. And this was the last thing he needed. He was handling so much at this moment. But that didn't matter. Joseph had to leave Nazareth and get to Bethlehem. 
All he could see at this point, I'm imagining Joe, all he could see is the frustration, the weight of the demand, the struggle. Like he's looking around going, how could God be in this? He may have been feeling all of that and just looking around and feeling the weight of the moment. You know, sometimes you are frustrated. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes all you feel is the weight of your moment. And what you're not aware of is that you are right in the center of God's will for you. He doesn't promise us a rose garden, right? He doesn't promise us an easy path. In fact, he says it's going to be narrow and it's going to be dangerous, but follow me. Joseph is learning that firsthand. He had to head back to that little town that he had long ago left in the rearview mirror. You know any small towns like that? Any small towns that you're from, they're better to be from than they are to go to? Bethlehem was like that. They're not good places to be. They're good places to be from. They're good places to leave behind because there, there isn't much there for you. There, there's not much of an opportunity for a young man to raise a family in Bethlehem. There wasn't much future for a young man in Bethlehem. But boy, is there a rich past in this little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's number one claim to fame at this point is that it's known as the city of now go ahead and say it. The city of David. Yeah. Their greatest uh, person so far to come out of this little city is David. He was king of Israel. In fact, he was the favored king of Israel. He was the least likely to be a king. He's a little shepherd that grew up and was anointed and appointed to be king of Israel. And so if there was a statue in this little town of Bethlehem, it would be a statue of David. And so Joseph was from there, and he had to return there to be counted in this ridiculous registration. Now remember, there's something more going on than what we can see. There's something more going on than what Joseph can see. There's more to this little town of Bethlehem than just being the place where David is from or where Joseph is from. In fact, in this little town, there's a prophetic word that's given by God about this little tiny town of Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, there's a God promise. I'll read you the words that were written more than 700 years before this moment. It's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Before this ridiculous government registration, these words were written by God. Sent through his prophet, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, when I read this to us now, 2,000 years later, who do you think this is talking about? Go ahead and say it all out. Who do you think it's talking about? Yeah, we would go back to Bethlehem and be like, hey, so that's a nice statue of David, but we need to take it down, and we need to put up a statue of? Yeah, we need to put up a statue of Jesus, because Jesus is now from Bethlehem, fulfilling this promise. We can look back and see it, but I would guess that Joseph couldn't look around and recognize it. Not at this point. The census explains why Joseph was in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us who put him there, and it was God. You can trust God to lead you too, brothers and sisters. You can trust God to lead you. When you can't see it, you can trust the one who can and does see it all. God promised to send a savior. He promised to send a hero. He promised to send a Messiah, and that Messiah would come from this tiny town in Bethlehem. 
Now rush back to Luke's gospel, and let's just read the next verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. You thought so far that Joseph was having a tough time. I'm positive that this isn't Joseph's favorite part of that first Christmas story. But God made a promise, and God keeps his promises. And Joseph and Mary are there. Joseph is just looking for a place for them to sleep. That's all he's looking for. The people who left Bethlehem are a lot more than the people who live in Bethlehem. And, uh, and the people who live there are a lot less than all those returning back to Bethlehem to find a place to stay, a place to, to sleep. And Joseph at this point, as he returns back with his tiny little family, is failing them as a provider. He's failing them as a protector. He, he's failing them as a leader. Every hotel he pulls up on Travelocity is booked, fully oversold. All the Airbnbs, completely taken. Four stars, three stars, two stars, all booked, all taken. Every seemingly possible place to stay was filled, and Joseph was failing. No doubt he was pretty stressed out. I don't know how you dads or husbands get, but like vacation, sometimes not vacation when you don't have it all planned out and you got to figure out where you're going to stay and where you're going to eat and all that. You come back exhausted. Joseph's in this moment where he just needs a place for them to sleep. And then suddenly he gets a nudge from Mary and she tells him, Joseph, it's time. And he's like, Mary, I'm working on it, all right? I'm finding a place for us to sleep. Just give me some time. Give me some space. I need some quiet time, right? I need to, I've got so many calm waiting for a text back, you know? She goes, no, no, no. Joseph, it's, it's time. And he's like, oh, it's that time. Oh, yeah, it's that time. Now, he no longer needed a place to sleep. He needed a place for his young wife to give birth to a baby. Someone said a lack of options clarifies the mind. Verse 7 says he found a place. <laughs> he found a place. Not a great place, not a desirable place, but he found a place, a little out-of-the-way place, a modest amount of privacy for them to stay and for Mary to give birth. It reportedly had only a one-star rating. But it was a really cool star. Come on now. That's it. Verse 7 says this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What a humble birth. Very humble. In fact, Jesus was born as a common slave would be born at this time. No one has room for you. No one's going to make room for you. No one's going to go out of their way to accommodate you. So just find a place. Make it as nice as possible. Give birth and keep on going. 
The world is in a very welcoming place to babies like him. Born in a difficult life, let this little one who's born in a harsh and hard place realize that this world is harsh and this world is hard. Let him realize it right from the beginning. But remember Philippians. He took the humble position of a slave. And was born as a human being, born as a slave. And it just begins to come alive to us. Born as a slave. Jesus' birth story is beyond just common. It's viscerally, if you think about it, it's viscerally unfair. And it's awful. No room. Turned away. Rejected. No compassion. No common decency. No one even having like, oh, yes, she is about to give, oh, sure, sure, sure. We'll, we'll kick some people out and make room. There's none of that. It's just so not spectacular. It's just so not spectacular. Until you realize that there is so much more going on than what we can see with our eyes. That little one in a feeding trough, born in a cave or a stable or in some dark, ugly, and dank little space is the very one God has sent to save the world from their darkness, to rescue us from our ugly and terrible places, to draw us back to God. It's the very one God has sent to save the world from their sin by taking on their darkness and their brokenness and their ugliness and their wrongness. This little one wrapped in rags will one day wrap those who follow him in his robes of righteousness. The darkness doesn't matter. He'll chase it away. The rejection doesn't matter. He will love them anyway. The neglect, the disregard doesn't matter. He'll overcome it all. So great is his love for his people. He'll overcome it all. For God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting, eternal, abundant life. The humble circumstances, the common experience of a slave's birth is exactly what was necessary to shape the man who would grow up to say of himself in Matthew's gospel, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That little one born in the now sacred and sanctified place would grow up to be the man who would do exactly this and head to the cross at Calvary to take away the sin of the world your sin and my sin. Philippians 2.80, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was born in Bethlehem just like God said he would be, and he came to do for the world what he came to do for the world. He came to do for you and for me. He came to do for us. He went through all of this for us. There's so much more going on in this moment in the Bible, and there's so much more going on in this moment today than what you can see right now. You're not here by accident. Maybe you're here by invitation. Maybe you're here because you want Christmas presents in a couple of days. <laughs> you're like, well, we got to go to church. It's a Sunday before. See, I grew up in a family that didn't go to church for 21 years. I never knew the meaning of Christmas. Christmas. 
And maybe that's you this morning. But I got to tell you, there's so much more going on here. Don't let go of it too quickly. Don't put it down. Don't pack it away until the gospel story of the first Christmas leaves its mark on you. Hold it until you sense it. Hold it until you feel it. Hold it until you know it in your soul. This is what Christmas is all about. That little one separated and disregarded was born to reunite all of us who have been separated by sin from God. He's been born to bring us back and reconcile us to God. And our sin means our sin that separated us. Now we have Jesus who says, God no longer disregards you. <laughs> he has made a way for you to come back to him. His birth is a declaration that God's favor is with all humanity. That's what the angels proclaim to the shepherds. This little one was born to reconcile us. This little one was born to rescue us. This little one was born to redeem us. Do you know that message of Christmas? Jesus was born in those humble circumstances because there was no place for him in the inn. There was no room for him because no one made room for him. Don't let that be the case this morning. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Isn't it crazy that this is how it began? I can imagine Joseph going door to door. Do you have room? Do you have room? Hey, will you open up? Hey, can you make space for my wife? She's about to have a baby. Can you just let us in? Going door to door and saying, do you have room for us? Do you have room for us? And all of them, no, 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 no. Until one says, I have a little bit of room for you. And making that little bit of room has made all the room for us in heaven. Making that little space for us has given us all the room in heaven. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare this, I will come back and I will bring you where it is. That little room by an innkeeper who answered the door and said, I might have a space. I might have a place. Just, it's not a great place. Can you come with me and follow? Is this going to do? Made a little bit of room. And do you know that that's what God is asking you to do this morning? Jesus is going through his Holy Spirit, heart to heart and knocking and saying, do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for the gospel? Will you open up? Do you hear me knock? If you hear me and you open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you. My father, this would be the best Christmas feast you've ever experienced if you will just open up and answer the door. That's the message of Christmas. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the Christmas message. Jesus, humbled for us, came to rescue us and save us and bring us to heaven with him. Don't let this Christmas go by without letting that gospel message impact you and make an imprint on your very soul. It is my pleasure just to pray for you for a moment. I, I was one who came to Christmas uh, by the invitation of some. 
And we'd come, we'd get dressed up, come to Christmas, come to, come to see. And Easter was the other one that we would, we were CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Like, my family, like, get some white shoes, a white belt, show up at Christmas or Easter and be like, now what is all this about? Well, I don't, I want to give you a moment to let this gospel just leave its mark on you. And I want to talk to God with you just in a moment of prayer. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Even if that's not a thing for you where you pray often, would you just take a moment to let this gospel message of this first message of Christmas leave its mark on your soul? Maybe here, December 22nd, 2019, the Sunday before Christmas, your life will be changed forever. In fact, you felt it. The Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, asking you, will you make room for Jesus in your life? You've, you've crowded him out in so many ways. Would you open the door and invite him in? Make a little room for Jesus, and it will change the world around you. Make a little room for Jesus. Would you, would you just respond to him in prayer? Lord Jesus, I make room for you in my heart. I make room for you in my life and my soul. Would you come in and let this gospel message be born afresh in me on this day? Lord Jesus, come in and save me from my sin. Pull me out of darkness. Pull me away from ugliness and separation. And would you draw me to yourself? Just respond to him in prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ, today is the day of salvation. For the Holy Spirit himself knocks on the door of your heart. If you are one like me who's heard the Christmas story, who knows this, who loves it, may you be stirred up by it. May the gospel be the very passion of your soul. And may you this morning be stirred up again that what God has done, being among us, he has done for you. He has called you to passionately share this story with the world around you. May you be stirred up this Christmas with this first story of the gospel. May it have an impact on you. Invite Jesus in. Lord, Lord, do in my life more than what you've done ever before. I give you more room. It's not just a little space. I give you all the space this Christmas. And may the Lord meet you and answer the prayer of your heart, for certainly he is listening. In Jesus' name.